I personally believe that cryptocurrencies are the future of content websites. And Steam is really just the first one. And as it becomes easier to integrate these types of things, we will see it incentivizing all types of content. You imagine something like Steam, but programmed as a sort of game that overlays with Quora. And now you're being rewarded for answering questions. That could potentially be Steam, or it could be some other cryptocurrency. So Bitcoin introduced this concept of, of mining, which was you take a computer and you, you turn it on and you start sending energy or hash power, uh, as it's called, to the computer scientists at this Bitcoin network. And by doing that, you're actually competing. And the person who sends the most hash power gets the most rewards of new Bitcoin that's created. Steam takes that model and then says, instead of sending energy and hash power at the network, why don't you send human actions at the network? Why don't you send blog posts? Why don't you curate content? Why don't you do all these things that contribute to the community? Making a living off of creating or curating content is hard. Meanwhile, social media platforms like Facebook are getting rich off of your hard work. Is there another way? This is Love Your Work, and I'm David Cadavy. I'm here to help you cut out the noise to focus. Today's guest is trying to reinvent the way content gets made. He wants to get you paid in the process. Ned Scott is the co-founder of a cryptocurrency called Steam, and he's the CEO of a website that runs on Steam called Steamit. Basically, all the actions that you would normally take on a site such as Reddit, writing posts, upvoting, or commenting, that mines Steam. That's Steam, S-T-E-E-M. It's a cryptocurrency, and then you can cash in that cryptocurrency for the currency of your choice. You've heard me talk about the economics of digital distraction on the podcast before. Hooked author Nir Eyal and I talked about it on episode 21. Companies such as Facebook steal your attention because the current models of supporting content creation incentivize them to do so. So for example, because the bulk of Facebook's revenue is from ads, they want you to spend as much time on your newsfeed as possible. This then incentivizes content creators to create the most attention-grabbing content possible. So they'll use tactics. The content creators will use tactics such as inciting rage, uh, even if it means ruining an innocent person's life. We saw this tactic backfire when Gawker added a closeted gay executive. Or they'll just plain lie, which is something that we've seen with the current fake news crisis. Uh, by the way, this is stuff that I discussed uh, with Ryan Holiday in episode 31. Ryan wrote a great book on the subject with Trust Me, I'm Lying, which I recommend you check out. But will Steam incentivize different behavior? Well, that remains to be seen. Think about it this way. Like many journalists are currently paid by the page view. I have some journalist friends who have worked at a very respectable newspaper, which I won't name, though it's probably no secret, that their performance was measured by the page views on their stories. Now, think about this for a second. They weren't allowed, these journalists were not allowed to own stocks. They weren't allowed to own stocks because it would be considered a conflict of interest in case they had to write about one of those companies. Makes sense. But then somehow being rewarded by the page view, being rewarded by how much attention your story gets, somehow that's not a conflict of interest. So if journalists happen to no longer be paid by the page view, if there's some way to do that, if they're instead 
um, compensated by their work being upvoted, well, this, the incentives would shift somehow. Now, it's hard to say exactly how they would shift, whether it would be good or bad, but they would shift. And my theory is that we spend our attention far differently from how we spend our money. So we are wired. We have a negative negativity bias. We're wired not to see the fruit in the bush, but rather to see the tiger behind the fruit in the bush, because our ancestors, if if they happen to see the focus on the fruit instead of the tiger behind the fruit, they would not become our ancestors. So uh, we have a, a, a negativity bias. We're, we're sort of wired to pay attention to uh, things that anger us or uh, upset us or that, or that are scary. Now, with Steam, we aren't spending our money, per se. And I think that we, we spend our money very differently than we, we spend our attention. So there there's, appears to be a different psychology to upvoting on Steemit, though, even though it's not exactly like spending money. And I'm sure that these incentives on Steemit bring along some other quirks. Uh, from what I've seen, the most popular content, hence the content that, that earns the most money on Steemit, happens to be about Steam, content like this podcast, I, I guess. So other than that, like I say... It remains to be seen. To, to really wrap your head around it, I'd recommend signing up at steamit.com, looking around. By the way, my Steamit username is Cadavy. So let's connect there. That's Cadavy, K-A-D-A-V as in Victor Y. And I've been a Steam user, or rather, I have used the Steamit website. I, I know it's a little confusing at first, but you eventually get used to it. I've been using it for several months now, and I've converted some of my Steam into Bitcoin just to run a test and see how this really works. And so far, I've earned spendable money for using Steemit, for making content on Steemit. And as I record this, the total value of all the Steam that is out there is at over $50 million. So there's there's money backing the Steam. Now, where does that money come from? How does Steam really work? Why might it work in the long run? And then why might it not work? Ned and I are going to talk about all that and more in this conversation. And remember that none of this is investment advice. I'm no investment expert. It's just an exploration of a potential new way to incentivize content creation. And that's what makes me excited about it. And that's why I'm having Ned on today to, to share that with you. And I have some other very exciting news I just interviewed Seth Godin. Yes, Seth Godin. It was just as amazing as you might imagine it would be. And uh, in preparation for this interview, I listened to every Seth Godin interview that I could possibly find. And he's one of those writers who has a grab bag of stories that he can draw from. They're really compelling stories, but you know you don't want to hear the same stories over again that you've already heard in other podcasts. So I did my best to get Seth to reveal things that he's never revealed before. Before, and I think it worked out well. I was afraid. I was deeply, deeply afraid. I was wounded. I was a failure. The promises I was making to the people around me, I was having trouble keeping. I wasn't able to persuade my clients to give me money, and. I really wanted to run away. You may remember from episode 62, the one where I painfully relived all of my rejections from 2016. You may remember that Seth turned down opportunities to be on the show, Love Your Work, twice since its inception. And I'm going to be asking him why it was that he finally decided to come on the show. And I'm writing a book and you can read it for free. If you ever have trouble bringing your work into the world, 
this is the book for you. It will give you actionable steps to break down fear and self-doubt and make your art real. It's called Getting Art Done. Go to gettingartdone.com. Sign up for the email updates before May 5th, 2017. You're going to get a free preview. That's gettingartdone.com. This episode is all about figuring out how to get paid for your work. And our sponsor, FreshBooks, makes getting paid about as easy and straightforward as it can be. I'm now using the brand new FreshBooks, and we're not talking about a simple redesign here. It it has been completely rebuilt from the ground up. And the thing that I love is that you can automatically import your expenses from your bank, which you couldn't do before back when I was using it years ago. And you can associate those expenses with an invoice, and you can even add your standard markup on expenses so you don't have to do all those calculations. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to my listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash loveyourwork and enter Love Your Work in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Here is Ned Scott. So, Ned, I first heard of Steemit and Steam through Fred Wilson's blog, and I thought that was it was it was pretty interesting. So I checked out the Steemit community, and in Steam, it's you can get paid to be a, a con- content contributor, contributor, or a um, curator. And we're going to get to how all that works eventually. But I guess I'd like to start talking about sort of the the problem that this aims to. Uh, this aims to solve. So what are some of the problems that you see in the way that most social networking services work? Sure. So, so it, it, there certainly solves some problems in terms of social media and content distribution. One of them being uh, censorship resistance. The uh, database is essentially the database that Steemit is built on, which is called Steam. Um, is a blockchain databases and blockchains are these new um, innovations that act as permanent ledgers uh, across the internet so that you can upload content or you can have money even um, move uh, into these databases and the records of those transactions or those uploads are permanent. So when you use a database like this to support a social network, the social network then adopts those properties and becomes censorship resistant. So if you go to Steemit, if you upload any story, um, you know, any poem, limerick, tweet type of thing, it then uh, sits there forever in the blockchain. And that's special because there's a lot of censorship resistance going on right now uh, across the Internet and across the major platforms. And we want to build this thing from the ground up in a way where uh, that never becomes a problem for us. So I'm not that that uh, familiar with the censorship issues uh, associated with social media these days. Are there any prime examples? Yeah, one of our, you know, one of the, the sites we've modeled after a little bit, Reddit, uh, you know, is, is one that's known for deleting user comments that discuss certain controversial things. And from what I understand, the community over there is is becoming more and more disgruntled by it, especially those who are just kind of awake to the concept of, of censorship. And we have had quite the influx of people who used to use Reddit, uh, used to use Reddit because, um, you know, they're looking for a platform that they know uh, won't take advantage of them and deceive them. Really. But Reddit is not the only one. I mean, there's certainly censorship on Twitter. You know, guys like Milo 
um, uh, Yiannopoulos, I think his last name is, you know, he, he got booted from the site. Um, and you know, there's all sorts of things like that on Facebook, there's censorship going on. They, they take certain links and they shadow ban them and it, it's happening more than we know, uh, in all sorts of corners of the internet. Um, especially the platforms that are trying to protect, uh, their advertisers interests. Uh, when there's advertiser interests, the advertisers are going to the platforms and they're saying, okay, we need to really, uh, you know, put the lid on all that type of talk. Like, um, who's the guy PewDiePie on YouTube, you know, the wall street journal came after him. There were some allegations of him you know, being a Nazi supporter or something like that, which sound terrible. And to tell you the truth, I didn't look into them much at all. Uh, but what that demonstrates is that there's there's interests out there that that want to um, quiet uh, certain voices. Um, you know, no matter how terrible uh, the things are people saying, uh, you know, I, I want to support their right to say them. Uh, and and let's let's get into, I guess, the. Uh the, where those economic incentives come from for, for me or the thing that I've been interested in and that I've had some conversations about on this podcast is the economic incentives behind most social media sites. So for example, uh, if you, if most social media sites are venture, they're venture capital back, the ones who were really, uh, paying attention to Twitter or Facebook or, or actually they're, they're public companies now. And so then that means they need to make money. And in order to make money, they work off of people's attention. Um, is that something that you're trying to combat? Yeah, we have a completely different model, actually. You know, we, we did we did have a, uh, a close friend uh, give us some, some money to start up, but, you know, it hasn't turned into a VC-backed uh, venture. There, there's a very interesting innovation here. We talked about the blockchain database. The blockchain database supports cryptocurrency, and the specific cryptocurrency kind of integrated in Steemit is Steam. It's this tradable currency, kind of like Bitcoin. It has its own economic rules um, that we'll get into uh, that, that actually tie into content creation and all that. But through that uh, cryptocurrency, uh, the community has actually supported us to build this website and to build, and they support other people to build websites as well. Um, and all these things um, benefit uh, the, the, the community that is holding the cryptocurrency and that sort of thing. So there's a very different econ economic model here um, where the users are the ones who are uh, bringing in the value and distributing it to the people starting businesses uh, rather than money coming in from you know, these outside VCs who aren't necessarily a part of the community or the platform. Okay, I was thinking I would talk more problem first and then get into how Steam works, but I think it might be a good time to talk about a little bit how this whole thing works. And and I'm going to go ahead and try to put it in layman's terms because I'm a layman. I don't know a lot about cryptocurrencies. And I've read the white paper and I've um the, the Steam white paper and learned a little bit. But the way, the way I understand it, you were talking about this blockchain earlier, which is like this this ledger that can't really be changed. And so as somebody creates content or curates content, so maybe they make a, uh, a blog post on Steam or they uh, upvote something or they share something, re-Steam it. When they're doing that, they're essentially mining uh, this cryptocurrency, 
Steam, right? That, that's right. That's right. So Bitcoin introduced this concept of, of mining, which was you take a computer and you, you turn it on and you start sending energy or hash power, uh, as it's called, to the computer scientists at this Bitcoin network. And by doing that, you're actually competing. And the person who sends the most hash power gets the most rewards of new Bitcoin that's created. Steam takes that model and then says, instead of sending energy and hash power at the network, why don't you send human actions at the network? Why don't you send blog posts? Why don't you curate content? Why don't you do all these things that contribute to the community and build a larger and larger um, content network and build a long tail uh, database of, of blog pages that people can search on Google and use to, to find uh, the community? And, and so we said, why don't, why don't we do it that way? And we don't waste all that energy. And, you know, it gets people involved. It gives them an incentive to get involved because now – uh, the better your blog post is perceived by this this cryptocurrency community, the better your the more accurate your curating is, the more rewards you're getting. So there's there's competition going on to create the best content, and uh, that's that's been special to see too. Uh, there's lots of cool algorithms that we've layered in to organize the content in what's called the trending page and hot page. Uh, so that uh, the community can can economically show us what content appears to be the most valuable to the rest of the community. And as I understand it, like the, the Bitcoin concept of mining was was that there was that there is this kind of a finite amount of amount to be mined in the same way that there might be a finite amount of gold in the world, and it just gets increasingly increasingly harder to mine more Bitcoin. Is that am I getting that right? And then is is Steam uh, does Steam work similarly? Steam works very similarly to Bitcoin. Bitcoin was designed uh, with these these principles of uh, inflation, where the inflation over time becomes less and less and less. I think it started out like a hundred percent. Well, technically it's infinite, right? When it starts out, and then the first year there's like a hundred percent inflation, and then fifty, and then ten, and then five, and then two and a half, and it goes on and on, shrinking and shrinking. So the the um, the supply increases slower and slower, and that's, you know, people can speculate on that, and that could be good for the market. The thing with Steam is very similar. Today it has about 10% um, of its total token supply uh, is, is created every year, and then each year that reduces by half a percent till it gets down to about 1%. And you need these economic incentives in these cryptocurrency systems to uh, incentivize certain behaviors. In Bitcoin, uh, the behavior that, that needs to be incentivized uh, actually creates security for the network. It's a process known as proof of work. And the more hash power there is, the more uh, secure the network is theorized to be. Uh, with Steam, uh, we have similar things going on. People need to be paid to secure the network. But also we want to continue to see the network pay people to create content and curate because those actions, as we mentioned before, uh, create a, a sort of network effect. Um, that continues to attract more people to uh, the community, uh, to the website, and and you know just create um, super linear effects. And I noticed in the, reading the white paper, there's a lot of different mechanisms that are in place to uh, keep the price stable. Of like, there's Steam dollars, there's Steam power. There's it's. It takes a lot to to wrap your head around. I still don't still don't get it yet, but I, I do understand after reading the white paper that 
that the motivations behind those mechanisms are to counter various things that might happen with the currency. Mm. Can you talk about some of those mechanisms? Sure. Yeah, there was, you know, as the project started, there were some very brave uh, economics built into it. Um, and one of the big challenges in, in cryptocurrencies has always been how will we create an, a cryptocurrency that acts stable? You compare something to the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar is considered worldwide to be a stable asset. And there's value in that uh, when you're talking about transactions in marketplaces and regular people just having this asset that they feel like they can spend. It's almost like having a savings account. If you hold Bitcoin, you're investing in Bitcoin. You're speculating on Bitcoin. You're watching the price. You're incentivized to see it go up and down. So there's a market there for the very, uh, uh, you know, not risk averse, but um, the people who are interested in taking big risks. Well, if I have so, if I have, you know, a Bitcoin today, I might be afraid to spend it because I'm, I'm afraid it's going to go up or if it's it's down, I don't want to spend it because I feel like I'm going to lose something. Whereas if there's a stable currency, then I can I can spend with confidence. That's exactly that what you're right. Saying? So, that's exactly what I'm saying. So actually in the steam model, there's, there's, there's steam, which is a lot like Bitcoin. It's very speculative. And then there's the steam dollar, which is a version of steam that is pegged to the U S dollar or is supposed to be pegged to the U S dollar. Um, but it's all an experiment. Uh, it's not something I suggest people go out and buy, but for people who are interested in researching it and understanding it, that's, that's what the experiment was, I believe intended to do. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those, uh, cool things in, in crypto. If you, if you dive into crypto, you want to look at stable currencies. You want to look at, uh, virtual machines for programming, uh, smart contracts. Um, and you know, there's a number of other like sort of holy grails in, in cryptocurrencies and doing the stable currency was one of those that, that we tried to achieve. And I have been on steam it for, uh, several weeks, I think. I've played around a little bit. I've posted a few things. I've posted some podcast episodes, for an exa- for example. And I have, just to test out, taken some Steam out, and I've transferred it to my Coinbase account into Bitcoin, you know, at, at the value of maybe... 50 us dollars or something and if i look in my steam in my steam account now it, it estimates that my account value is something like 200 dollars. now that that the stuff that i've converted into bitcoin i can very easily convert that into us dollars if i want um so there's actually money that i have earned from posting things on this on this network or upvoting things or having discussions so where does that money come from Ah, okay. So that, that's that's the question that I think I, I get in every interview because <laughs> it's like, where, where is it? Where? But um, it's it's from the new tokens being created. Just like with Bitcoin, new tokens are created to pay people who are mining. In Steam, new tokens are created to to pay people who are creating content. And the community, it's the community's job to allocate where those tokens go to. So when the community read your post, they said, "Wow, this is great content." You know, this will do great in Google or this is what people will come searching for. So we're going to reward it by giving it upvotes. So they 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 upvote your post and then the blockchain database does some math and says, okay, uh, so many new tokens are going to go into David's account. And uh, that's where it comes from. It's new tokens being created. The economic term is seniorage. Uh, 
um, or inflation. And then there's, of course, kind of a market side to this, too, and that there has to be uh, confidence in this currency for it to be worth something for me to be able to convert it into other currencies. That's right. So in cryptocurrencies, uh, people are constantly speculating on these these tokens, and these tokens have value because people decide uh, intuitively that they have value, and they go into these markets and they trade, and there's buy or sell orders. And as soon as a transaction happens, that creates a price. And once you have a price for the token, let's say one steam equals 10 cents, then that price uh, can be funneled into what's called a wallet, like steamit.com has a wallet, and that can tell you what all your steam tokens are worth. Hypothetically, they could be worth zero, and this system would still work. It would just seem like a point system where the points have no value. But here, the points, because they're being traded, uh, have value. So you compare this to something like reddit.com and they have these karma points. Karma is rewarded to people as they post and curate, but there are no markets for karma. It's not tradable. So here we have just opened up, a, you know, it's just, it's just available to transfer these, these, these points. So they take on value. And so as you're essentially earning points for writing blog posts, those points have money, you're essentially being paid. You know, I think that we've got a pretty good overview now of how this works. I mean, obviously, it's very complicated. You kind of need to go to to a site like Steemit and and try it out for yourself. Um, but I do want to cover a little bit more about why there, why some of the other models don't work, and why this might work, and also why this might not work. Um, so I I guess. We've talked a little bit about VC backed or there being investors, and then that creates this financial interest. And then the, uh, the sites such as Facebook or Twitter is then incentivized to distract, to uh, which often often involves manipulating people and trying to get certain emotions out of them that they wouldn't be trying to get out of them if they were paying for a product because we we feel differently about something we pay for than something that we merely pay attention to. Uh, and I think that we see that happening with uh, fake news or or rage porn uh, types of things that we see. Um, but there's also even even Medium, who is a uh, a site that is aiming to fix this problem. I had an experience which actually prompted me discovering Steam and Steamit when um, I was a creative exchange writer on Medium. You know, I get paid like. I did a post with them. I got paid like a thousand dollars. It was good. I I got to be uh, creative. The the sponsor wasn't overbearing or anything. And then I got another opportunity in my inbox to write another one of those articles. Sounded good. The sponsor. It seemed like I had was in line with my values and everything. But then Ev, the CEO, posted a note that day saying this creative exchange program is over. We need to rethink the way that we're monetizing. And then my opportunity to, to do that had disappeared, which I totally understand because if there's any sort of advertising, any sort of time when there's a, a brand involved, even if you start off with, Oh, the brand isn't going to have a lot of control over this. This is going to be a, just, uh, just write something about this particular theme that is in, in alignment with this brand. That's going to creep eventually to the brand's, wanting to see results and to that manipulating uh, the content that's created, especially 
when there are several layers of interest involved, when there are investors and and uh, different different layers of management and investors controlling the actions of the people who are within the entity, such as Medium. Now, Medium's trying to go with a subscription model. We'll see if that that'll work. But uh, that was how I found out about it, because I remember Fred Wilson wrote, you know, Medium should be looking at Steam or Steam it. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. That's just me blaring about my uh, experience. I remember when when Fred wrote that, you know, it was the same day Ev came out with his letter. And, um, you know, I thought it would have been interesting for them to look at. I think I emailed Ev, uh, but didn't really go anywhere. And um, I don't blame them for going the subscription route. I do know that there are a few websites out there, a few communities. Uh, I don't know that any are huge in scale, but there are a few that are at least medium in scale, no pun intended. Um, and, you know, they're doing okay with the subscription model. And it probably does create a better balance for creating content that is maybe unbiased, um, you know, by brands and that sort of thing. Maybe not. I'm not 100% certain. Um but I personally believe that cryptocurrencies are the future of content websites. And Steam is really just the first one. And as it becomes easier to integrate these types of things, we will see it incentivizing all types of content. You imagine something like Steam, but programmed as a sort of game that overlays with Quora. And now you're being rewarded for answering questions. That could potentially be Steam or it could be some other cryptocurrency. And we're in such early days here that, um, you know, Steam is, is really on the cutting edge. There are some competitors who are trying to do similar things, but it's so difficult to figure out if you don't have, you know, top world class engineering talent that, you know, we, we, we have yet to see any other competitor really pop up uh, despite all the, the hype and the vaporware that's out there. So, um it's, it's my personal prediction that we'll see more and more of these, um, you know, maybe some of the big players will eventually try it. Maybe medium will eventually try it. Maybe Twitter will eventually try it. I'd love to see it. And I think over time, um, I would hope to have more conversations with, with some of the players that are already out there. Um, if I'm not too busy building this one myself, we're going to take a quick break. Almost 15 years ago, Mike McDermott had had it. He was sick of trying to make invoices with Microsoft word. So he moved into his parents' basement, and he started building FreshBooks. Today, FreshBooks not only makes beautiful invoices in seconds, but it can serve as your mission control for everything about getting paid in your business. It's been completely redesigned from the ground up. So if you haven't checked it out lately, you've got to see the new FreshBooks. Besides beautiful new invoice templates, FreshBooks has time tracking. It will also automatically pull in your bank account data and categorize your expenses. It will suggest to you the quick wins to keep your business moving smoothly. FreshBooks will even remind your clients to pay you so you can skip the awkward conversations and concentrate on your craft. If you're a freelancer or small business owner, you've got to check out FreshBooks. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to my listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash loveyourwork and enter loveyourwork in the how did you hear about us section. Yeah, and I want to go through some of the other models that are yeah, not quite right or not. I mean, there's the subscription model with which might work. I know we had somebody on 
uh, Mark Manson does a subscription model with his website. Um, there's also donation based things such as, such as Patreon. Um, I know I have a Patreon page. How are they ever tell anybody about it? There's, I don't really, I have like one backer probably, but that's sort of, why doesn't that work? Maybe it does. You know, I've been hearing more and more about Patreon lately and I would say what, what probably makes it hard is the friction. You know, you have to give something to somebody and there's tragedy to the comments where you can sort of look at someone's content. This problem with, you know, all tipping platforms is, uh, you, you look at someone's content and you say, well, I don't have to give them anything. And there's a bunch of other people here. Maybe they'll give them something. And, you know, you just, um, you don't have the right economic incentives to actually pass that tip across the table. But I've understood that Patreon is tapping into, uh, you know, the psychology of their users in a great way. And that, that there is some, uh, there is at least a, a good amount of volume happening in terms of tipping. Um, so maybe it's a user experience thing. But the thing, the difference with, with Steam is that uh, it's, it's as easy as upvoting um, content or giving it the thumbs up to pass value across the web. And because there's no cost to the user to do that, to pass that value across, uh, it, it has a different dynamic. It's, it's this frictionless tipping. Um, and I think that a combination of that and some of the ideas of Patreon um, will eventually create some sort of killer app. I mean, we have, we have, uh, you know, on steam it, you know, I expect to see more and more of that sort of thing where, where content creators are really tapping into a fan base that's, that's supporting them. You're you're touching on some behavioral economics here. I'd like to just quickly go into that because you're talking about the friction, right? There's like this cognitive, uh, friction to doing a donation. You can very easily um, decide that you don't want to donate or it doesn't, you can also do all sorts of self-deception into making yourself not feel bad for not donating. Um, If there's a micropayment sort of tip where it's like, oh, let's give this person a cent. There's still so much cognitive overhead to go along with that. I know we've had Dan Ariely, the behavioral, uh, behavioral scientist on here. And I know one of his studies is, you know, if you take a whole bunch of gum and you say, okay, you can take all of the gu- all the gum you want for free versus you can take all the gum you want for a penny. If it's for free, people don't take very much. If it's for a penny, they take a ton, like not even, uh, not proportional to, to, to the cost. To, right. They're trying to, uh, make up for what it felt like to give somebody a penny. It it turned into an economic transaction and that just totally changed things. Now, in the case of upvoting somebody on steam or, or on, on steam it, um, I, I guess I don't, it's, it's so, uh, I don't really understand if that's costing me anything or not. How does, Um, how does that work? Not, not in the traditional sense. Um, but what you're exercising when you vote when you upvote, when you give someone the thumbs up, what you're exercising is actually a function of how much steam you have. So you can only really pass as much value across the table as is proportionate to your total stake in the cryptocurrency supply. So the more stake you have, the more value you can pass across. It's, it's, um, in that sense, it's, it's like tipping from your wallet. It's, it's really just that you're, you, you're, you're tipping with opportunity cost uh, rather than um, with, with the, the value itself. And that's, 
from a behavioral economic standpoint, from a cognitive standpoint, it's, there's no friction in that for people. Um, and in what way to, are you tipping with opportunity costs? I'm not sure if I, if I grokked that. Because the, the way it's an opportunity cost is instead of upvoting somebody else, you could upvote your own post and you could try to attack the system in that way. But there are also social uh, safeguards built into the system to prevent people from going in and voting for themselves. Um, and th these combination of, of, uh, of structures uh, allows people to just feel like it's their duty and obligation to upvote and pass, you know, steam to, to users who are generating content. Um, so it was really a behavioral economics challenge, a co you know, a, a cognitive behaviors challenge um, in, in designing this. You know, we were very convinced that tipping doesn't work. And um, we've seen platform after platform try to do it. And I think we're really, I think in some sense you could call Steam a tipping platform, but it's, it's right now it's sort of a socialized tipping platform where the, the, there's very much a, a social expectancy and a, an economic expectancy to be upvoting people and, uh, you know, making sure the best content's rewarded. And I also want to cover that, I guess, so Steam, the Steam database is anybody can build an app for it, right? So there's, for example, example there's busy.org. If I go to busy.org, I thought this was interesting. If I go to busy.org, it's pretty much all the same data. It's all the same data that's on Steemit from what I can gather. Is that correct? It is. It's reading the same, same Steam database. It's pulling in the same information as the same system of accounts. It has the same functionality. You can transfer cryptocurrencies. You can upvote and pass cryptocurrencies to blog posts. Um, and it has its own layout. It has some other features, like it has some messaging features. Uh, I actually know the team is building it. They're a bunch of terrific guys. And they're being supported by the Steam community to build that. There's also other apps doing similar things. There's eSteam, the mobile app. There's eSteam 8. There's a lot of you know Steam monikers in there. But actually, if you go to steamtools.com, there's been more than 100 applications, uh, probably more than 120 applications built on Steam uh, since mid-last year. And we only expect more and more of those to arise um, as, you know, one of the things that we're doing is trying to um, add things to the blockchain that make it easier to, be, to, to monetize uh, these applications. So, uh, you know, application developers can build something and then take a, you know, for example, a percentage of some of the tips that are coming across the table. And what that will do is it will... Uh, it will cause many communities, maybe community-specific apps, and uh, maybe uh, all-purpose general apps to pop up and be sustainable. Okay, so that was uh, what I was going to ask, is, is then what incentivizes Steemit or Busy.org? What incentivizes these various app developers to make a better app than uh, a, a competitor? And it sounds like they can take a certain amount of the steam that gets mined. Is that how that works? Yes. Yeah. So, so if they're providing a, a, a user experience that's out competing in some way, if they've attracted some some niche of the the Steam community, they have some portion of the market. Then, as those people transact across their application, they can take a piece of all the transactions that are occurring uh, to provide you know sustaining revenue. And so, let's see here. So, another thing that we're building actually that I'll touch on is. Um, is the feature of sub communities. So people will be able to sort of own a namespace 
and then dedicate that namespace, let's call it traveling, uh, dedicate that namespace to certain types of content. And they can basically set parameters through the blockchain that say, if you're posting into this sub-community or channel, uh, then you know, you're essentially going to give a percentage of all the transactions that occur to the moderator or owner of, of that community. And so now that owner of the community has an incentive to build a business around that, perhaps build an app themselves, or perhaps you know, begin marketing and bringing in all sorts of tra- travel bloggers from across the world. So it becomes a very self-perpetuating system uh, where the marketing comes from within, not from any centralized company. Steemit is not the only company building on Steam and certainly not the only application. And, um, you know, I think that uh, we're just at the beginning of something that's going to blossom where it's, you know, a platform that's supporting many uh, independent entrepreneurs. This, yeah, this ties into something what I was just thinking is, um, is the is the structure of the data then sort of preset out that you have posts and you have comments and you have upvotes. And if you're a developer and you want to go outside of that data structure and, and create new categories of data that you can't really do that, or how does that work? There are, there are some categories of data that are very explicitly uh, mapped out. There's, you know, posts, comments, upvotes, that sort of thing are very explicitly mapped out, but there's also, uh, you know, JSON metadata fields. And people can go in there to create their own categories of data that can be tracked tracked publicly. Um, so if there's you know something specific to messaging or um, you know creating a new namespace, if you wanted to you know have a second namespace, you could do that in that field, and you could share all that data with the public. And someone who's building an app could you know use that data even if it's not core to the original design of the blockchain. Cool. All right. So it, it sounds sounds totally awesome, right? You can go on there and create content. You can curate content. You can get cryptocurrency that currently has value. You can convert that into spendable money um, at, at this point in time. What are some reasons that this might not work? What, what keeps you up at night as far as this project goes? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. I would say what keeps me up is uh, it's not so much the blockchain itself. The blockchain is uh, incredibly well developed. We obviously had to have some incredible people on the team to get it to where it is today. And to build a cryptocurrency, you have to uh, have very safe uh, precautions taken uh, along the way. You have to rely on uh, cryptographic libraries that have been proved over tens and 20 uh, plus years. And, um, it's not the blockchain that keeps me up. It's it's mostly building the business. You know, I'm very concerned about the interface that we're building today, Steemit.com. We need to improve uh, conversions across our signup page. There are certainly some challenges here because there's value on the line. When accounts are created, you know, people really try to, to game the system and, and get some extra accounts. So, you know, we have to have some measures there. We're working on the sub-community feature and I think as we get both these things uh, in place where people can sign up without friction and then can go in and find their people in their niche, in their sub-community, uh, that we can really just turn this growth curve into a hockey stick. So that's what's keeping me up. I'm just so excited to take this from being a, a sort of small town where everybody knows each other and everyone has their reputations and turning it into a big city where there's just tons of different people, you know, some sort of New York City style uh, online phenomenon of, of, of social economics. 
do you have any concerns that a company like Facebook might might see this and and say, oh, this is, seems to be working, and you know, kind of let you guys continue testing it out, and then one day say, hey, there's a Facebook currency, and and do something like that. Does that concern you? I think there's so much room in this space. I would be thrilled if Facebook built uh, an actual cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrencies are interesting because there's a lot of ways to launch them. And if Facebook launched one, I'm not sure how they would do it. You know, would they would they consider it something that they control, or would they consider it something that's just controlled by all the users? Um, it's a very complex piece of technology. And to get it right, you actually have to experiment several times. And Steam is something that uh, is actually sort of third or fourth generation for most of the people on the team here, um, where we've been in Bitcoin, we've been in projects like BitShares and ProtoShares, uh, and you know, then you know, we came into Steam. And so, so there's a lot of learning along the way that needs to happen to get these things right. I still would be extremely excited. Like I said, I see all sorts of content websites running on blockchains and using cryptocurrencies in the future because it incentivizes certain behaviors. I was a psych, I studied psych and econ in school. So I've always been in love with behavioral economics and, and what motivates people, what are their incentives. And cryptocurrency just was a perfect match for me in that sense because it's all about uh, in, you know, building in incentives into these systems to create certain behaviors. And with Steam, we've done that to create uh, an incentive to blog and to comment and to interact socially and that sort of thing. And I think there are such a, there's such a variety of content websites out there, whether it be Facebook, Medium, Reddit, um, uh, that, you know, there, there's plenty of room for exploration. I don't expect Steam to be the only cryptocurrency in the world. It's not. There's already thousands. Um, you know, we just would like it to be a successful one with a, with a very large community. So, so for anybody out there who's thinking of starting a Steam-like cryptocurrency, uh, which is probably not a whole lot of people, but is there any decision? Are there any decisions that you made upfront that you are now unable to change? That, like, if you were to start from scratch, you would do differently. <laughs> Luckily, there's no there. There haven't been any deal breakers. You know, we've we've put this thing together in a way that that has proven to to work and to attract people. Uh, and the good news is there's there's quite a sophisticated governance system built into this blockchain and into Steam, the cryptocurrency. It's called Delegator Proof of Stake, and it allows the stakeholders, the people who are holding the cryptocurrency, to decide if there should be software upgrades. Uh, and through that process, uh, the blockchain can actually adapt. And so there have been many moments where the users have realized that a certain part of the experience is not what they would like it to be, and they can propose new features, and those features can actually get built into the blockchain. So it's important. I would This would be my suggestion to any uh, budding entrepreneurs or people getting into cryptocurrency to uh, study and understand uh, the different governance systems and consensus models out there. And I would recommend taking a look at delegated proof of stake uh, to see if it would fit uh, that person or that community's needs. Any resources for that, like a book or... Online articles. Get to Google. Type in delegated proof of stake. Type in proof of work. Type in proof of stake. Look up guys like Vitalik Buterin, uh, who's running uh, the Ethereum project. Um, look up BitShares, where there's been a white paper on delegated proof of stake. Um, 
And there's a few others out there. There's Tendermint. Uh, there's uh, different protocols. But it's it's becoming a very fast-growing space, and there's new stuff every day. I'm, I thought that I used to know everything going on, and things are popping up so frequently now that I know I, I am not on top of everything. Uh, so be diligent. Use your best judgment to filter out the stuff that you think just doesn't work. Uh, be ready to reevaluate and reimagine all your preconceptions uh, and, and um, yeah, keep an open mind. This space will, will really uh, cause you to take a second look at things that you thought were a given uh, beforehand. Great. Uh, we've talked a lot about a lot of interesting stuff here today. If you have any final words or where, or a call to action for everybody, if you'd like them to go to steamit.com or, or, or where can they get more Ned? Yeah, get to Steam it, sign up. Uh, you know, you gotta you, you get there and you create an account, create a post, check out your wallet. So the the real difference between Steam it and other social media sites is it's integrated with a digital wallet. You know, where you can see your cryptocurrency and all that. And it's such an interesting experience to open one of these things up and and move these tokens across the internet frictionlessly. Uh, it will completely open your eyes if you've never touched cryptocurrency before. So I'd highly recommend that. Steam, it's a great starting point. And then from there, you can hop around and check out Bitcoin and all sorts of things you've probably been hearing about for years but haven't really dived into. Great. Ned, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Yeah, David, thank you. It's been a pleasure and hope to see you on the site again soon. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ned Scott of Steam and Steamit. Steam is clearly a bold experiment. And while there's no way to know really whether it's going to work, it feels to me like it has a lot of potential. It's clearly well thought out. I do feel strongly that these economics have to change and they're going to change somehow. And Steam might be it. So go check out steamit.com for yourself. And again, my username there is Kadavi. That's K-A-D as in David, A-V as in Victor Y. So follow me there and I hope to see you there. And what was this friction thing that we were talking about with transactions? Predictably irrational author Dan Ariely has done a lot of work about irrationality in economics. Listen to Dan on episode 51. Intel lost 5% of productivity by giving people a $30 bonus. Now, 5% might not seem a lot. It's a lot. And if you appreciate all the work that goes into making this show, there are a couple of ways you can help support it. One is to subscribe, 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 subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just hit the subscribe button. Another is to rate the show on iTunes. Just go to cadavy.net slash iTunes and click on write a review and click on the star rating. You don't even have to write a review. It just takes a couple of seconds. And do you like books? If you do, I'd love to send you my book recommendations. About 90% of them will be nonfiction on subjects spanning from biographies to neuroscience. Just go to cadavy.net slash reading, sign up, and you'll get my first set of recommendations right away. You'll be supporting the show if you buy any of those books through the links in the email. This has been Love Your Work, and I'm David Cadavy. The theme music for the show is More Streets, performed by Spider Flower. Love Your Work is a production of Cadavy, Inc.